Amen. As you're grabbing a seat, I'll dismiss our kindergarten through second graders. Kindergarten through second graders are going to head to the back. I guess they're going with Miss Tracy. There's Miss Tracy, okay. So kindergarten through second grade, y'all can head to the back with Miss Tracy. Uh, third through fifth graders are going to stay in here with us for a few more weeks. Um, just a few more weeks, and uh, after Labor Day, we're going to officially get cranked up, hopefully, with all of the different ministries. As we were singing that song, um, Lord, we want your presence. Give us your presence. Just this reminded me of that passage in uh, Exodus 32 where Moses is crying out for the presence of God. You remember this, right? That the golden calf thing had happened and... um, and the, the wrath of God was coming down on them. Moses got so upset with them, he, he took the Ten Commandments that had been crushed and um, he took the gold and the jewelry that they had made this golden calf with and put it in the water and made them drink it. He was just so upset with the people. And uh, God tells the people, hey, you know what? You guys go ahead. I'm not going to go with you. Um, you're a stiff-necked people. I'm not going, um, lest I consume you. And Moses just really starts interceding on behalf of the people and crying out to God and saying, God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. And God says, well, I'm going to send an angel, and an angel's going to lead you to the promised land. And again, Moses says, no, if it's, If you're not with us, if it's not your presence with us, we don't want to go. Moses praying, God, we would rather the desert with you than the promised land without you. We would rather the desert with you. Some of y'all remember Cassie here a couple weeks ago, and she said that phrase, and it has just stuck with my heart this idea that we were made for the desert. Not that we long for the desert, of course not, but God has equipped us with his presence so that no matter what circumstances may come, pandemics or whatever of the crazy worldwide things that we've seen in the past couple months, The Holy Spirit is with us. Moses in his prayer asks the question, is it not in your going with us? This is verse 16. This is not a part of the sermon, so this is free. Okay, don't start the clock yet. Is it not your going with us that makes us distinct? Is it not your going with us in other words, if you're not with us, what are, what, are we even, what are we even doing? We're just like every other nation. We're like every other country. And I think that's my heart for our church. If it's not God's presence with us, then what are we doing? We're not, we, are not, we are not a distinct people. It's, it's God's presence with us. And I've been praying that I would have this heart because I don't like the desert. And I don't like uncertainty. And I don't like not knowing what 
you know, where we can plan and how we can plan. There's this level of anxiety that's like rising up in me. It just continues to get bigger and bigger as, you know, we thought we would be around this by now. Surely by, you know, September, late October, school starting back, this this thing would be over. The pandemic would be over and it's not over. And it might not be over and for a long time. We don't know. I guess that's my prayer for us, that we would, that the very posture and cry of our heart would be, God, we rather the desert with you than the promised land without you. We'd rather difficulty with you than a life of comfort and ease without you. We would, we would rather carry your cross with you, the cross, rather than victory without you. And I think that's the cry of this song that we just sing. Lord, it's your presence that we want. It's your presence that we're after. Now, we love good theology and right doctrine, and we should. And there's certainly a place for that, and that's why we hold highly the word of God in our church. And we should want right living. We should want to actually obey this, as James says. Don't just listen. You gotta, you gotta take the word in and you gotta go do something about it. It's not just listening. We like right theology, we like right, right practice, but it's also this like right emotion that we are, our hearts cry is for God to show up. And that's ultimately what makes us distinct. I've been praying for our teachers, and we're gonna have a little prayer blessing at the very end of our service over our teachers and administrators and all those involved in the educational process that we're beginning. Some of you have already begun. What a prayer to pray for you. God, is it not your presence that makes me distinct as a teacher? Is it not your presence? Is it not the joy and the peace that I have in my life that makes me distinct? This is the cry of the heart of Moses. We look through scriptures, the cry of the heart of most people who are following hard after God. We see it in uh, Daniel. We see it in King David. Over and over, it's just there, just this cry for God to show up and make much of himself. I want to look at Revelation chapter 2. If you brought your Bible with you, would you turn there with me? Start the clock now if you're following. The clock literally means nothing, but if it makes you feel better. Robin asked this morning, she's like, so I see we've been going a little longer lately. True. I think I should probably get snacks for the kids. That'd be a great idea. And who doesn't love little goldfish, right? We're starting a series called Refresh. The next four or five weeks following our little vision talk last week. And if you caught that and the afterwards, we did the little Zoom call. Um, and uh, so this is a new series called Refresh. Um, you know, sometimes when your web browser gets stuck and nothing's moving, you can hit that little circle, arrow circle at the top and refresh the whole thing. Sometimes we just need that, this like period of just uh, realignment, of reset, of refresh. We'll be focusing on the realignment of our 
priorities and our pursuits. And we've listed five pursuits. And today, and this is the foundation upon which all of them as a church are like going after. This is what we're pursuing as a church. And I pray that you're pursuing individually. And I pray that you're pursuing as a family. This is what we're going after. This is our pursuit. And that foundational pursuit is being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. To say it another way would be that a relationship with Jesus is greater than the religion about Jesus. Or that listening to Jesus is greater than doing stuff for Jesus. That the creator is greater than the creation. That Jesus is greater than all the stuff. At the essence of it, you boil it all down. This is what Christianity is really about. It is following Jesus and being with Jesus. There is such a great danger in missing the heart of God here. Doing the work of God, but missing the heart of God. A real love for God. You see this through the Psalms. As David had messed up a lot. I mean, this guy had just, he had messed up a lot. And yet it says he had a heart after God, a man for God's own heart. He would write these songs that better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. This idea of pursuing him, Psalms 27 is another one that comes to mind. This thing I seek. To be in your presence. Revelations 2 is a a letter from Jesus to the church. Specifically the church at Ephesus. And we talked through some of these letters to the churches several years ago, including this one. But this danger of doing work for God without actually being with God is what comes to light. If you're not familiar, Revelation starts out with these letters from Jesus to prominent churches in the day. Written down um, by John. And then these were read in these very churches, that these letters, how incredible would it be that... Jesus sends us a letter in the mail and is like, man, I know you covenant church. These are some things you're doing well, but this is the thing that you've really got to focus on or you're going to miss the whole thing. That's kind of the image, the picture here. Just a little context quickly. This, this church was planted by Paul. It was later pastored by Timothy, Paul's son in the faith. Um, They had some incredible help. I mean, an all-star staff, Aquila and Priscilla are there. Can you imagine? Planted by Paul, pastored by Timothy. Aquila and Priscilla are the deacons or the youth leaders or whatever, just this incredible thing. It would later be pastored by John himself, John the Beloved. It was planted 40 years before this letter was likely written. The founding leaders had moved on. They were experiencing this incredible persecution. If you can even imagine, as we've moved to a post-Christian society, and it's easier today to be persecuted for your faith if you're really vocal about your faith than maybe ever before in this nation's history. 
exponentially multiply that by a hundred, and this is what these people walk through, literally in fear of their lives, for the name of Christ. So that's the setting. Here's the letter. I'm going to jump in in verse 2. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. He found them to be false. And I know you are enduring patiently and build, bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is the word of the Lord. He starts out with a list of commendations. Your toil and patient endurance. That's certainly a commendation, a church that would toil or work hard and this patient endurance Christianity became a scapegoat for all kinds of things at the time and there was a deep growing hatred for Christians and yet this church patiently endured and he says your holiness is evidence you cannot bear with those who are evil it says there was rampant immorality in the city there were temples filled with prostitutes. It was just so immoral. And yet this church maintains integrity in the midst of extreme temptation on every side. They hold the true doctrine. The scripture said that you have tested those who call themselves apostles and they're not. And you have found them to be false. So the practice maybe in the, even in the early church as it's documented through history that an orator would be up claiming to be an apostle and they, there was no Wikipedia to check if this guy was like, you know, the real deal or not. And just as they're even preaching, they would be called out from the crowd and saying, no, that's not true. That's contrary to the gospel that we have learned. They had been warned before as Paul was leaving that wolves in sheep's clothing would come in and try to deceive them. And yet this church held strong against such bad theology. Verse 3, it says, this idea of bearing up. I love this picture of bearing up. I know you've endured patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. This idea of hard work. It literally means working, enduring to the point of exhaustion, except you don't get exhausted. Bearing up for my name's sake, and then again, endurance. They're still going strong. They're not growing weary. There's no real end in sight. If anything, it's only going to get worse. This is not a struggling church. This is the kind of church that makes the you know, outreach top 100. Most patiently enduring church, right? But the letter's not there. The letter doesn't end there. Look at verse 4. 
but I have this against you that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. They had the best pastors. They had the most incredible cultural impact. Literally, the culture of the city was beginning to change because of the Christians that were there. They had amazing resources. They had supernatural power at work around them. The stories of what God was doing in that city were unbelievable. And yet, from the heart of Jesus to this church, church, I want you to be careful. Because you're doing all these things right, and I commend you for doing those. But you're ignoring the most important thing. You had abandoned the love you had at first. Notice they didn't lose their first love. As if somehow in all the work that they were doing that they just kind of forgot and they just kind of just lost their first love. They just fell out of love. No, that's, that's not what Jesus says to them. He says, you have abandoned it. You have abandoned your, you have left your first love. Do you remember what it was like when you were saved or you made Jesus Lord of your life? Do you remember what that was like? For me, that happened as a really young teenager. I grew up in the in, in Baptist kind of subculture of church where I got saved like every year. Anytime we didn't want to talk about uh, hell and it lasting forever, I don't like hot things just in general, especially those that last forever. And there's something about worms. I was like, oh man, I am out on that. Let's just, let's come on, come on, God, let's do this one more time just to make sure, right? Every time we'd have these revivals, y'all remember revivals? This revival preacher would come in and just scare the bejesus out of us, right? We were like, all right, God, let's make this right, please. I, I think I even got baptized three or four times just to really seal the deal. I know salvation is not in baptism, but just so you know, God, that I am serious about not going to hell. Like, this is, we need to sure this thing up. This is what you see in this passage. This church is doing all these great things, and yet they have walked away or abandoned the love you had at first. Church, this is a real warning for us that it is possible to do great things for God and even see supernatural work around us from God. And have great teachers and great worship and a great staff and miss the heart of God. That we would go a hundred miles past him when he is leading us that we need to go this direction. A few warnings here. The first warning is... For the church is, listen church, don't let the fruit distract you from intimacy with Jesus. Sometimes we focus on the fruit itself. When you walk with God, it produces fruit in your life. This is what Galatians 5 talks about. The fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and kindness 
faithfulness and self-control. When you, when you walk with Jesus, it says in John 15 that, that your joy would be full. When you're in the presence of God, so the psalmist says you'd have pleasures forevermore. That's the fruit of walking with Jesus, that prayerfully your marriage is getting stronger and you're a better mom and dad and a better friend and a better neighbor as you're walking with Jesus. All these, this is the fruit of walking with Jesus. But if we're not careful, we'll let the fruit that comes from walking with Jesus actually distract us from intimacy with Jesus. So you're walking with Jesus and God is using you and you're sharing the gospel and these other people are coming to Christ and man, you're just overwhelmed and humbled by all that God would do through you. But now the fruit of that is you got a lot of lost people around and, and you're trying to disciple them and there's so much to do. The work in front of you is impossible. And so you convince yourself that you would leave the first works of really walking with God because you've got all these things to do for God. God, I've got so much to do for you today that I don't have time to walk with you today. Or in the grace of God, he's given you a position of authority or leadership. You're running a business or you're managing some other employees or how about this one? You're raising a family and you've got so many things to do. We got to feed the kids and we got to you know, we got to do this and, and, and do that, and we got to get them to school, and then there, and then i got to go to work, and all the while this great pandemic. And, and, and if we're not careful, we will, we will do all the work. We'll let the fruit that comes from the grace of God into our lives distract us from the main thing of actually being with Jesus. The warning here is don't let the fruit distract you from intimacy with Jesus. And then the second warning is don't let the fruit become the reason you walk with Jesus. If you know that when you walk with Jesus, you're going to get the desires of your heart. But walking with Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus, I know if I'm with you today and I walk with you today, then you're going to bless me in this, in this way. So I'm going to walk with you in order to get the blessing. Does that make sense? And the whole time, Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about the blessings. It's about me. It's about walking with me. If I told my wife, baby, I love spending time with you because when I spend time with you, you cook the most amazing meals. I love spending time with you, baby, because when I spend time with you, you give me the most amazing gifts. Just You just keep them coming. I just, man, being with you with the meals and the gifts, it's just awesome. And she would be offended. <laughs> it's not about the meals and the gifts. It's about being with me. Don't you want to just be with me? Jesus says in John 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, and neither can you unless you abide in me. We know that we can't have fruit about, without abiding. If we aren't careful, we, in, we abide in order to get the fruit, but not in order to be with Jesus. And this is the sin of the Ephesian church. Jesus, we want you around us, because when you get around us, we're able to discern what's bad 
theology and good theology. Jesus, we want you around us because when you come around us, we get supernatural gifts. Gifts of the Spirit. We're seeing the fruit of the Spirit increase in our lives. Jesus, we want you to be around us because when you're around us, we're able to spot the false prophets from the right prophets. We want you to be around us because you enable us to resist temptation. And it's a subtle difference, but it's a big difference. God is saying from his heart, Jesus, from his heart to this church, hey, don't leave me. You like the miracles, but I'm the miracle maker. You like the mission, but I'm the cause of the mission. You like the doctrine, but I, Jesus says, am the way, the truth, and the life. So I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. He gives them this little remedy. This is the warning passage. Parents, you've done this with your kids, right? They're acting like crazy people. You're telling them. Any any of you, like, start counting? You know, you start counting, and nothing happens at the end of that counting, right? My dad was one of those people. Like, when he, like, laid laid the law down, when when the foot came down, it was a real thing. Like, it it was on. I remember one time, I've told this story here before. I remember one time we were driving to Stone Mountain to see Stone Mountain. We lived in Augusta, a couple hour drive, and we're getting close, and me and Leighton are in the back seat, and we keep hitting each other, as good brothers do, and, and probably Lydia too. I don't know. She was probably in the wheel well somewhere, as you know. We're hitting each other. We're fighting along the way. Dad's trying to drive the interstate, and you know, he's warning us, hey, that's your last chance, and we'd do it again, and finally Dad said, hey, listen, if either of you touch each other one more time, it's over. I'm going to pull this car over. I'm going to spank your butts. He only said that word when he was real serious. Wasn't Heine anymore, uh, you know. And then we're going to turn around and go home. We got back in the car. It lasted like 30 seconds. I don't remember who. It probably late hit me probably. Uh, <laughs> sure enough, dad pulled that car over, took care of business. And we turned around and started driving home. My, my mom crying the whole time. We were all crying. I think dad was even crying. This is one of those warning passages where Jesus speaks to the church. He said, it's, it's not hopeless yet, but I want you to know where you're headed. Not too far from here, you're going to be in real trouble. So this is the warning. I have this sin against you. You've abandoned your first love that you had at first. So here's his points of change that he's calling them to. First, to remember from where you've fallen. Remember. You remember when you just used to have so much joy walking with Jesus? Before all the pain and the heartache and the disappointment that maybe you've walked through, the jadedness of being in church culture. Hey, can I be honest with you, a person who's grown up in church and been a pastor for 20 years and in ministry uh, longer than that, like the religious church culture will suck your soul dry. And you'll do a lot of work for God and you will miss God. And you just get burned out. 
And this is his call. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. The church at Ephesus was birthed with this incredible work of God, this vision that even Paul prays over them in Ephesians 1. I don't think I have all this on the screen. Maybe I do. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Remember, this is a church that Paul had planted, and he's sending them this love letter, basically. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, in knowing him. That the spirit of wisdom, capital S, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation would help you to know him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious, his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. It is just this like theological diatribe just right after another. Man, you read that. Just this exaltation of the supremacy of Christ in our life. And you read that and you're like, yes, that's what I want. And that's what the church had. Until they decided to leave the first, their first love. Somehow in the mire of doing good Christian work, they started to do work for God instead of working from the overflow of his work in them. They began to put the cart in front of the horse. They were overcome with the spirit of Martha. Who thought it would be much more beneficial to make sure everyone had a drink than just to sit at the feet of Jesus and drink in his mercy and his grace. The spirit of Martha, you remember that. When she eventually came in to Jesus and said, Jesus, Mary's just sitting at your feet. I'm doing all this work. Jesus rebuked her in a very lovingly way, but still very strong. Martha, Martha, you're distracted by so many things. But it's this one thing that's important. Being with me is what's important. Anyone guilty? Spirit of Martha in our lives? The call of Jesus is to remember what your, what your love used to look like. Remember the grace of God in your life. Remember all that God's done and is doing. Psalm 77 is a song of remembrance. Just a few verses from that. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember his wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. Meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You're the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the people. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. And it goes on about remembering what our God is like. That he's a loving father that wants a relationship. He doesn't just leave us a to-do list and leave the house before we wake up. No, he's the one that's sitting in there on the couch saying, hey, just come sit with me for a while. Let's talk. How's it going? How's your heart? Tell me about the fear and the anxiety that creeps up. The impact sin has had on your life, the woundedness of your past. Let's, nothing's off limits. Let's just talk about it. It's this relationship he's inviting us into. Remember the last time you really blew it and turned to God in repentance and his grace just came rushing down like a waterfall. Remember that. 
Then he tells them to repent. Repent. Repentance is this literal change of mind that leads to change in behavior. There's a myth. A lot of people think that spiritual maturity looks like emotionless, stoic posture and really good, you know, theology and stories of old, but that's not true. Spiritual maturity is not a cold heart. It's childlike wonder. We had a little family birthday party for Anna yesterday. And there was no hiding which gifts she liked and which gifts she didn't. She didn't complain about any of the gifts she didn't get. She just discarded them to the side. But the gifts she liked, oh, you knew it. I mean, she would shrill from the top of her lungs about a doll that pees and poops or whatever it was doing. I don't know. You're just like, man, do we have to really go there? This childlike wonder. what spiritual maturity is yes we grow in our theology and we grow in our right practice but we never lose that childlike wonder that God loves us and cares for us we take on his beloved identity as a son or daughter tells them to repent we have to repent of thinking that God's heart is not for us to passionately follow him We've got to repent of lingering sin, of unforgiveness and bitterness. We've got to repent of just an apathetic spirit to the things of God. We take in so much information, especially during the pandemic. Maybe I'm just speaking of myself, but this is fine. I can certainly confess that for months, the first thing I was looking at was the number of cases and where they're at on the vaccines and what are we going to do when school starts back and are we going to have football lord please let us have football i was looking at all these other things and my my soul which was really hungry to walk with god was being filled with all of these unsatisfying substitutes and then i had to go to work and I go, had to go do the work of God without a soul that was connected and overflowing from what God had put in my soul that morning. And that's what leads to burnout. That's what leads to exhaustion. That's what leads to a lack of joy and peace in your life. One of the most beautiful words in the Bible is repent. you confess your sins, First John says, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. This invitation just to repent. Dad, I blew it again. It grieves my heart, but I blew it again. So I love the story of Luke 15, of the father on the porch just waiting for his son to come home. And running to him and embracing him. This is what God does in our own hearts and lives. Every time we blow it, but we come back to him. This beautiful picture of repentance. God, I've had an apathetic heart. My emotions have not been stirred by you. I've been focused on so many things and I'm missing the point. We repent. And just in my own life, if I'm real serious about repentance, I don't repent just to God. 
I bring a few other brothers in the circle with me so I can, they can help me walk in truth. So James says, you confess your sins one to another so you may be healed. You don't keep going down this pathway that gets you in trouble. And then he says, remember and repent and do the works you did at first. Do the works you did at first. Return and do the things that you did at first. This is hard when you feel far from God in your mind. You think, well, I want to feel the love of God again before I respond to God. But that's not, that's not the way it works. You got to go back and do things that raise the sail so that the wind would blow. Do the things you did in the beginning that gave you life. Remember how you used to spend time in God's word or how you used to meditate on it. How you used to pray. The joy of getting together with other Christians. Remember how excited you were to share your faith with other people. And we might say that Satan does a masterful job in creating a sense of general dissatisfaction with the first works. We feel as we grow with Christ that we ought to go far past those elemental things of, of reading God's word and memorizing the word. We have this general dissatisfaction with these first works. And Christians, because of that, Christians will run to almost every new strange method or program for growth and stability. Our shortened attention spans make, it, make us easily bored with the truest excitement. And sometimes we will do almost anything except the first works. I remember in my many years in church, we always had a new evangelism program. Four spiritual laws, evangelism explosion, the Romans road, the faith method. I mean, we had more acrostics. You, could, you couldn't remember what any of the acrostics meant. And right, you remember this? We'd have like visitation. This is like, this is like some old school stuff from my past. We'd get together on a Monday night and these are all the people we're connected to. And we're going to pray and we're going to go out and we're going to share the gospel with them. And it was kind of this little pep rally. And there were some good things that came from that. I'm not... I'm not saying that all those things are bad, but here's what I am saying. When you really walk with God from the overflow of your heart, you don't need a new method. You just, from the overflow of your heart, start to evangelize the things that you, about the, that you think are beautiful, that have captured you. There was a friend of mine, much older gentleman. He was probably late 80s when we... We're in Dallas at this church. His name was Dave Jacobson. And this brother had been connected to uh, some missionary work. And he was just this older grandfatherly figure. You kind of get the picture. And yet he was so faithful in church. And it was just such a joy to be around him. Just, you just, when you got close to him, you just felt like you were close to Jesus. This guy just walked with Jesus so faithfully. I was a young youth pastor, and I had this vision. I had to get all these things done, and we got to do this and this, and 19 campuses, and we, we got to blah, blah, all these things. And he would stop me. In the, wherever he saw me, he would stop me, and he would say, Hey, Luke, how you doing? I was like, I'm good. And I would, I would walk right past him. And he would reach over and grab my shoulder, and he would pull me close where I could smell what he had for lunch. He would pull me that close. 
He'd look at me in the eyes. I'll never forget, he did this multiple times. He'd say, look at me in the eye. Let me remind you of something. God loves you, not what you do for him. God loves you. As if I needed this reminder, and I so did. He would get up and pray. We still had Sunday night services. He would get up and pray in one of those Sunday night prayer slots. And he would have to step back away from the microphone because he would just be weeping. Like the privilege of prayer just emotionally moved him. Such a great living example for me. To remember and to repent and then to go back doing the first works. Friends, for most of us, it's not that God is not speaking. No, God's still speaking. It's just we're not calming our minds and hearts and souls down long enough to hear him. Isn't it crazy that during the pandemic we've had more time at home than ever before? And yet most people that I talk to feel further away from God than ever before. We used to think it was the busyness. You know, we're working 16 jobs and our kids involved in 34 sports. And, you know, they're going to be a college athlete in every one of them. So we got to go, 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 go every night at the field or at the whatever. We're doing all the things. We would come home exhausted. Our soul would be exhausted. And we got to go do it again tomorrow. We used to think, man, my distance from God is because I just, I'm too busy. And we're going to slow down. We're going to take some time and really slow down. And yet the pandemic came and we're forced to slow down. And we just feel that time binging on Netflix and social media and news sources. Most people I talk to, they have not used this time to grow deep roots. No, not at all. They just, their soul is still just as tired as ever before. Listen, God's not going to mow you down to speak to you. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when, when you seek me with all your heart. Friends, we have to have our hearts open to him, to really seek him, to go after him. Like, like Moses said, God, I just want your blessing. I don't even just want your direction. Just tell me what job to take or tell me what person to marry or tell me. That's, that's what the angel was doing. I'm sending the angel, God says, to go show you the way. And Moses like, no, that's not good enough. Now, I don't want just the direction. I don't want to just know your will. I want to know you. I want you with us. You walking with us. For real honest, most of us don't want to hear what God has to say to us anyway. Our hearts aren't set on obedience. Often when we do come to God to walk with him, we're going to leave and choose the direction we want to walk in anyway. And that's a tragedy. The words of Jesus to us this morning. To remember, to repent, and do the works we did at first. Here's just a few, just two quick points of application and we're done. Biology and liturgy. Biology and liturgy. Biology. Biography, I'm sorry. Biography. Biography. We need people in our lives, real examples of this kind of encouragement to continue walking with the Father. 
Maybe you've read some of these biographies of other men and women. It just stirs your heart. I remember my dad gave me a biography of uh, George Mueller when I was just a teenager, 12 or 13. And my heart was so stirred by what was in that. And these incredible prayers of faith as he led this orphanage. And they would have no food. And instead of calling all the people and starting a GoFundMe account to provide food for the orphans, no, he would just set to pray. We're just going to pray. And as we prayed and we prayed, and they get a knock at the door, and it'd be a bag of groceries. It just stirred my heart. I remember praying as like a 12-year-old, God, I want that kind of faith. These biographies of Elizabeth Elliot or Joni Erickson Tata or Adoniram Judson or J. Hudson Taylor or even modern missionaries that are doing this. So soul-stirring. I was reading Philippians 3 this morning in my own devotion. This is the heart of Paul, he says in verse 10 of chapter 3, I want to know Christ and the experience of his mighty power that raised him from the dead. So much so that Paul keeps saying, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Now that's what it means to want to really walk with God. Biography. People in your life that remind you this. My mom and dad were this to me, just showing me what it really means to walk with God and walk through difficulties. Maybe it's some people that are in your missional community that are this, and you just need to, maybe you just encourage them that their walk with God is encouraging to you. We need biography. We need people. We need living examples of this. But that's not just enough that we'd be inspired. We've got to have a plan in place, this liturgy. Liturgy is literally the form a rhythm of something, something you do over and over again. Mostly it's used in the church world to talk about the flow of a gathering or service. But, but it's more than that because liturgy helps cultivate our hearts. It helps keep our hearts turned turn towards him. It's a rhythm by which we operate. I've shared this illustration before. I've read, this is pre-COVID that most adults check their phones 74 times a day. I bet that number's doubled or tripled since then. 74 times we get our phone, get our phone, dead time, get our phone, red light, get our phone, in the bathroom, get our phone, just 74 times, just all get our phone, get our phone. It's a liturgy. So when you have a dead moment, what do you initially do? You get out your phone. That's part of the liturgy that you've created in your own life. What if we could have a Deuteronomy 6 kind of liturgy? We talk about the ways and words of God when we wake up and when we leave the house and along the path and when we return home. Drive time and car time and meal time. What if that became our new liturgy? So if we had a dead moment, you're just connecting in with the Father. Hey, God, I'm sitting here at a red light. I'm going to this thing. My heart's weary today. I'm discouraged today. I got this bad news today. I'm walking into a difficult meeting. I'm headed to school to teach today, and I don't understand the uncertainty of all this, and I might lose my job today, or I already lost my job last month, and I'm feeling overcome with just worry and anxiety, and I just want to give that to you. What, what if that became our new liturgy instead of the phone? Sunday gathering is a good liturgy. You should make that part of your world as best you can. I know in this pandemic it's been hard to make this just a thing, but do your best. And if you, even if you're watching from home, make it, 
Make it special. Not like we're like watching TV, turn it off, you know, this, and we're going to walk away if we don't like what the pastor is saying, that, that we'd be invested and we would pray and prepare our hearts to gather with God's people, even if it's digitally, that we would wake up early. We would have a real devotional life to get in the word every morning and don't shut it off until your heart is on fire. Just keep reading and reading until God grabs your heart. I was reading this week, last week, in in John chapter 7, verse 37. This grabbed my heart. I can't get away from it. He says, on the last day and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow out from them. Did, Did you miss it? Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow out from within them. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that was to come. Flow out from within. Flow out from within. Just that phrase just got stuck in my head. And I've been praying. This has been my mantra in prayer for several weeks now. God, flow out from within. Flow out. Rivers of living water would flow out from within. Maybe singing with your kids or your family. I don't know if you like worship as much as I do. If you ever see me at a red light, man, we're getting, we're getting, we're getting the worship on in there. I'm singing top. Be so glad you're not in that car. I'm trying to sing all the parts and I'm matching like the drum beats. Ephesians 5 reminds us that we should be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making a melody with our heart to God. It's part of the liturgy that we're singing people. It's the last time you got your family around the living room, and all with bad voices, or you might be blessed with good voices. We just, we just made much of Jesus in our living room. We turned the HDTV off or Deadliest Catch or whatever it is you watch. We just, you're going to put that, you know what? We're just going to have worship night tonight. We're going to play some of our favorite songs. We're going to sing. Church, this is the invitation for you personally. We can't afford to play games as a church. We just can't afford it. We can't afford to have just good theology and holiness in the midst of temptation steadfast endurance we can't afford just to have that if we're not walking with Jesus what did he say the warning here was that he would remove the candlestick he would remove his presence from them if you don't remember repent do the works difference if you don't I'm going to come and remove your lampstand from its place the lampstand signified the presence of Jesus There's churches all over America, all over the world, all over our city. They're doing religious things this morning, but the presence of Jesus hasn't been there in a long time. And my prayer is, Lord, don't let us be that church. The invitation of Jesus is just to come to him. He said so many things just about himself. He says, if you're hungry, come to me. I'm the bread of life. If you're thirsty, I'm the living water. Drink from me. If 
you're lost in the darkness, come to me. I'm the light of the world. If you need a source of power, come to me. I'm the true vine. Abide in me. If you need access, you come through me. I'm the door. If you feel scared, come to me. I'm the good shepherd. Invitation is to walk with Jesus. I want to pray for us as we close, and we're going to sing again in a minute, but would you just write where you're at? Would you just get one-on-one with God? God? God knows what's going on in your heart. No one from the outside could, have te- could, could be able to distinguish that this church had a lot of problems. Every, by every metric, they were doing great, yet Jesus knew what was going on. He knew their hearts, and he knows your heart. You that play the great religious game, you that know when to stand and sit and shake hands, and the right point in the song to raise your hands up. No, God knows you, your sin, your worry, your anxiety. He knows you and he loves you. Just where you're sitting, would you just remember who God is. Do you remember how he's moved in your life? The things that he's forgiven you for? The love that he continually extends? His gifts of grace and future grace? His promise to never leave you nor forsake you? Would you, just right where you are, would you just repent of the known sin in your life, of the apathy that's creeped in, of running to every other source for bread instead of Jesus, who's the bread of life, running to every other source for drink when we should come to Jesus, he's the living water, of trying every other door and gate instead of Jesus, who is the door of letting culture shepherd our hearts, of letting politics shepherd our hearts. As Holy Spirit works, he'll reveal that to you. If you're just asking, Lord, what what do I need to repent of this morning? And would you resolve in your heart to do the works that you did at first. When it wasn't about anything religious and all the work, when it was just about sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him and then obeying what he revealed to you. Lord, I love you. Lord, you know my own heart and my mind, how I fail in every area that I've preached on today that I am not the living example of how to do this correctly. But Lord, I thank you for your grace. Lord, would you continue to move in my own heart, my own soul. Lord, as those disciples said on the road to Emmaus, as they encountered you after the resurrection, did, did not our hearts burn within us? Lord, could that be true of us today?
there's any in here who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, my, my prayer is that you would take a step of faith today. I'm going to put a mask on. I'll be in the back. I'd love to talk to you about that. You want to come for prayer? You want me to pray for you? Lord, we need you. Not the stuff, not the religious trappings, not all the blessing. We want you. Lord, we need you.